good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good to see you, even though it's cold outside. I don't like the cold. Do you like the cold? No, you don't like the cold. Cold is bad. Bad, 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 bad. Anyway, great to see those of you that are right here in this room. If you're in your living room, which I get it today, or watching anywhere else in the world, I uh, just want to say welcome to you. want to give a shout out to Stephen Sharp. So let's say hi to everybody out there in our online congregation. So I don't know if you follow this or not, but a while back there was a brand of books, kind of a how-to books that became wildly popular, started out kind of small, but now it's become a very, very popular brand. It's called the Idiot's Guides. Have you guys seen these? Uh, it, it's kind of a book where they're, they're trying to strip this idea down to take a really complicated idea or a skill set and reduce it down to the most common denominator so that even an idiot can do it, okay? Now, I know that sounds kind of pejorative, but it's actually a genius way to make anything accessible to everyone. And that's exactly what we're going to discover today uh, as we continue in our series on heroes. How to take this complicated idea, make it very, very simple. So we've been in this series called Heroes. We've been identifying heroes as uh, ordinary people, who do extraordinary things, sometimes ordinary people who just do ordinary things, but God uses them in extraordinary ways. And we've been seeing that the Scripture is full of them, men and women whose life and character have been recorded by God so that we've been inspired by their faith, and then we would aspire to be like them. Now, today we're going to look at a guy who was kind of given an idiot's guide to success, if you will, and you're going to see how that plays out in just a little bit. His name was Gideon, and perhaps you've heard of him because he has a Bible in every hotel room across the world, okay? Uh, that's Gideon's Bible. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Judges chapter 6. It's the seventh book in your Bible, and if you have the ZCC app, encourage you to open that up. All the Scripture is in there, some blanks that are in there, some other tools that will help you get just a little bit more out of our time together today. Um, so Gideon's story, I, I'm going to reduce it down to really one word. Gideon's story is a story about obedience. Not really our favorite word. Nobody really likes to have to obey anyone. But this isn't just a story about obedience. This is about obedience when it doesn't make sense. Okay, following God is one thing when it's logical and it's agreeable. You're like, I get it. Now I just have to kind of surrender myself to it. Might take a little bit of faith, but it's actually doable. But what if God asks you to do something that is absurd, ridiculous, seemingly insane? Then what will you do? This is exactly where we find ourselves in this passage today. So when you come to the story of Gideon, um, you, you really find what God is doing here is He's redefining success. And what God is saying is, success in my eyes is fundamentally agreeing to do uh, what I say no matter what. No matter what. Let's say that together. One, two, three. No matter what. This is where God wants us to be, and this is where He's taking Gideon today. So, a little bit of a backstory. The story of Israel, the nation of Israel, is really a story of, of cycles of obedience and disobedience. If you know the story, you know that God promised, if you obey me, if you follow my ways and my word, I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest expectations and imagination. But 
if you turn away from me, which they did, he removed his hand of blessing and they found themselves conquered and captured and oppressed by a lot of surrounding nations. In fact, this was the story in this moment. Uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, okay? So uh, in, the, in this period of time, what's called uh, the Judges period, it's uh, 1350 to 1015 BC, and this is where the book gets its name because God raised up a bunch of judges during this time to deliver the nation of Israel from the nations that were oppressing them. Gideon was one of these judges, and God is going to essentially uh, call Gideon into battle with the Midianites, and he's going to give him the idiot's guide to winning a battle, okay? He's going to strip what would be a rather complicated idea of battle strategies and counting and, you know, getting ready and all this stuff. He's, uh, I'm going to strip it down to a very simple idea so that anyone can actually do it. Now, Gideon isn't the logical choice, as is often in the story of God. Uh, and so, he's, he's kind of a reluctant hero, if you will, uh, which is good news for us. He didn't see himself as a hero, and we don't typically see ourselves as heroes, but God calls us to step into heroic moments, and this is what this series has been teaching us. Gideon actually was just doing his chores. He's out there threshing wheat. I, this is the universal sign, by the way, for threshing wheat. I've never done it before, but it seems like it would be something like that, okay? And so the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midianites' hands. So when he heard that, Gideon did one of these. He's like, he's looking around because like, I know you are not talking to me. I mean, you can't possibly be talking to me. In fact, he, he actually says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon's like, I'm no Ivy Leaguer. I didn't even go to Rutgers. I went to community college, and I didn't graduate. I'm a nobody. You've got the wrong guy. And then God speaks the words to him that so many reluctant heroes have heard throughout the ages. It's, it's the words that encourage and empower everybody who steps into a certain moment that they never imagined would be theirs and they certainly weren't prepared for. God said, I will be with you. Would you just say that out loud? I will be with you. God is saying that to you right now. In whatever moment you are in, and whatever confrontation you are anticipating, and in any trouble or trial that you were in, this is the promise of God. The words, I will be with you, is what everybody needs to hear whenever God is calling them to enter into a situation that is way bigger than them. Because you realize when you're in a moment where you have all of the resources of your own at your disposal, you'll never experience the power of God in the most profound way. And this is the statement that is coming to Gideon. He hears it, but he needs assurance. And, and he's a lot like us. You know, it's like, wait, 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 wait. God just appeared to you. What else do you need to know that God is with you, right? Anybody? I mean, that's how I am. Like, well, what else can you give me? So he says, I need a little assurance, God. Um, 
And it's interesting because he's, he's a guy who has courage, but he needs courage. He's a guy who has faith, but he needs faith. He, he's like the story of the guy in the Bible where his son needs to be healed. And, and he says, uh, I believe, but help my unbelief. I just need a little bit more. And so Gideon does this thing that's actually become an idiom in, in the English language. And this is what he did. He put out a fleece. Anybody ever heard of this? You put out a fleece when you're trying to make a decision, but you don't really know what the right decision is. And so you say, well, if this happens, then that's the right decision. Okay. It's a little bit superstitious, but we bring it into our faith, which I caution you against because a lot of bad decisions have been made by putting out a fleece. For example, somebody might say, you know what? I got this job opportunity, this job opportunity. Uh, I'm going to pick number two if I hear my favorite song on the radio today. Okay, we, yeah, yeah, I know, you've done this, okay? Or you might go, um, you know what, I, I don't know what kind I'm supposed to do. I've been thinking about maybe I'm supposed to be a missionary, you know, go overseas. And if somebody says anything about God and the Bible at church today, I'm going to become a missionary, okay? You're like, okay. Uh, or, or, or maybe you're a single guy, you know, and you've been noticing this girl at work and you're like, uh, you know, if she comes into the break room today, and she eats lunch, that's the one. You know, you're like, anything. You know, you're like, just don't do it that way, okay? But nevertheless, Gideon does this, and he puts out a literal fleece. He has a wool fleece. And he goes to God, and he's like, I know you said you're going to be with me, but, 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 but can you just give me a sign, okay? So he says, I'm going to put a fleece out, and in the morning, I want the ground to be dry, but I want the fleece to be wet. So he goes to bed at night, gets up the next morning, goes out to the fleece, ground's completely dry, picks up the fleece, squeezes water out into the jar. Should be good to go, right? Am I right? Say, yeah, you're right. But, it, but does he do it? No, he's like, oh, okay, don't be mad, don't be mad, God, but can we do it one more time, but do it the other way this time? So I'm going to put the fleece out, then I want the fleece to be dry, and I want the ground to be wet. Is that okay? So God's like, all right. And so he goes to bed, he gets up the next morning. It's just as he had prescribed. So now he's ready to go into battle. Okay, seems like a good plan. Um, so God has a plan as well. Here's how it goes. Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. No general wants to hear that. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Uh-oh. So it's very clear what God is doing in trimming down God's army. He's wanting Gideon to know when success comes, it's not going to be about you. He wants Gideon to know that success is in God's hands, whether we realize it or not. God can allow our success, He can create our success, or He can strip it away. He can withhold it. And the, one of the things that heroes actually know is that their success lies in God's hands, not their own. He says, I want to give you this bottom line idea here first. By the way, 
A sign of strength for any follower of Jesus is the ability to admit your weakness. I know in my own life, I've, I've chosen to learn this, and I've been forced to learn this as a pastor and as a leader. It's when I come to a situation and I realize I don't have enough I don't have the resources that are required to enter into this conversation, to take on this assignment. And when I admit my weakness, guess what? That's when God shows up with His strength. And this is a reminder for every single one of us, no matter what kind of situation that you are in, that the power of God is revealed most fully in the lives of people who are willing to admit their weaknesses. I have a life verse. I don't know if you have a life verse or not. It's kind of the verse that defines you, that reminds you of something very, very important. And they're unique to every individual, but but this is mine. It says, uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is my ongoing reminder that I need God in areas where I want to see something supernatural take place. But it's also the back-end reminder that whenever something very powerful, whenever I experience any kind of success, whenever God uses me in a very powerful way, I realize it's not about me. I'm just a, I'm just a clay pot. I'm just an empty vessel. I've got nothing. It is only the fullness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that makes me or anybody else anything in God's eyes. He wants us to know this. And for you, you know, whether you're building a business, you're leading a business, you're leading a a small group or a creative team of people, you're leading a marketing group, or or, or maybe you're leading somebody at school, you're a team captain uh, in some sport, or you're leading little ones at home, God says the first step in being successful is to realize that your greatest work will not be apart from God, that you'll have an okay leadership experience, you'll have a a normal business experience, you'll be an all right leader, but you're not going to be exceptional unless you lean in to God. And God is going to help Gideon with this understanding. So, He says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 people remain. Boom. Just like that. Now I'm thinking on a human level, what kind of criteria is this? What is God doing here? I mean, why would anybody, like, use this as a criteria? All right, soldiers, we're getting ready to go into war. Anybody afraid? You can go home. I mean, are you kidding me? So, boom, just like that, the army is down to one-third its original size. And so, you know, but if I'm giddy and I'm thinking, okay, I can do this with 10,000. 10,000, that's still a lot of people. I mean, I think I can do this with 10,000, but God's not finished. So, God says to Gideon, well, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. 
Here's how we're going to do it. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, uh, hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees. 300 drank from cupped hands. And you know what Gideon's thinking. Oh, God, please don't let it be the 300. Please don't let it be the 300. Give me the other ones. But it wasn't. The Lord said, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Whoa. So God sent them home. Gideon sent them home. And this doesn't make sense to Gideon at all. Anybody ever have a this doesn't make sense moment? Anybody? You know, I, I read a story a long time ago. I was just reminded of this. It was a, a construction worker by the name of Patrick Lawler, and um, he had a toothache. And he, he said, man, I just went to the dentist. How can I have a toothache? I don't understand it. And then it got worse and worse and worse. He's taking painkillers. He's putting ice packs. His jaw begins to swell up really, really big, get, getting up into his eye. He's like, this is getting serious. I'm going to go to the dentist and find out what's actually going on. He went to the dentist. He told him what was happening. They took an x-ray, and this is what they found. A four-inch nail stuck in his skull. About seven days earlier, he was working with a nail gun, and it bumped him in the face. He thought he had just kind of, it just kind of reacted, but what had happened, it recoiled, and it actually turned around and did a 180, and it went off, and it shot a nail straight up underneath his gum, almost taking out his eye, and it's just sitting in there. It was a miracle, they said, that he wasn't blind. But right when he saw the x-ray, he said, well, oh, now it makes sense. Oh, you think? You know, it's like, come on. <laughs> but this is what Gideon is thinking. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This, this does not make sense. God thinned his army down to 300 people. And the number one asset that these 300 people had is they drank water like a dog. Are you kidding me? This is when you and I say, God, this doesn't make sense. We've all said that before, haven't we? But here's one of the things we learn about heroes. Heroes follow God's Word even when it doesn't make sense. Because there's going to be times in your life where you're going to be in a situation, maybe it's in your marriage, and you're doing the right thing, and they're not doing the right thing. And there's a part of you that says, you know what, I'm out of here. I've done it God's way all this time, and they're just not responding. I'm going to do it my way. I'm out. Or maybe you're a teenager or you're a college student, and you're on a, you're on a team, and your coach is playing favorites. And so you're not getting any playing time, even though you know you're a better player, but there's some politics going on. And you're like, man, I'm going to have to go tell somebody about this. I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to start complaining. Or maybe your kids, you've been investing in them, you love them, you're doing it right, you're doing it all right, but they're just doing it all wrong. And you're like, I'm going to crack down, man. You're never coming out of your room. I mean, you're just going to lay down the law. 
You're like, I've done the right thing, now I got to do it my way. Or maybe you're, you have a coworker, and you're way better than them. Let's just be honest. Your work product, your dedication, your faithfulness, way better. But their unethical behavior somehow got them promoted ahead of you. And you're like, I can't believe this. I'm going to do it my way now. And anytime you get into these situations, you're like, this doesn't make sense. You know, I don't know what God's up to, but, I, you know, obviously he's kind of asleep at the wheel. I got to take things into my own hands. But God says, I want you to follow my way. I want you to wait. I want you to forgive. I want you to reconcile. I want you to trust because this is how heroes follow God. Doesn't make sense. But this is God's way. So that night, God says to Gideon, Gideon, I know you're afraid, so I'm going to give you a gift. I, I want you to go down to the Midianites' camp, and, I and I've got a conversation that I want you to hear. So he takes his kind of partner down there, and, and they go down to the outskirts of the camp, and uh, he looks at the outskirts of the camp, and, he, and, and it says that the camels are as, as like the, numbered like the sand of the seashore. And that the soldier are as thick as locust. So, you know, I'm not a scientist or a mathematician, but that's a lot of people. Okay. So, um, if he wasn't afraid before, now when he sees all these people against his 300, he's got to be absolutely terrified. But, but then he hears these two guys talking to one another. And one of the guys says to the other, he says, I had a dream a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Whoa, big revelation. So Joshua's got to be completely fired up. He listened to God's word. He did exactly what God told him to do. And it gave him the confidence to move forward in spite of being massively outnumbered by the enemy. He says, I'm just going to do this. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever experienced this, but it takes courage to take the first step. But you know what happens after that? When you respond in obedience to God, when you do something courageous, simply because he told you to do it, even though it doesn't make sense, then he gives you a little bit more courage to take the next step. And then, then he gives you a little bit more courage to take the next step. It reminds me of this quote from Eugene Peterson who said, uh, following God is a long obedience in the same direction. It's just step upon step upon step. And the reason that we have to do it this way, to realize that I take this and then God's going to give me a little bit more, because if we look at it as just as one moment, then we're going to hedge our bets. We're, we're going to have a plan B over here just in case God doesn't come through. Anybody ever have a plan B? You know you do. You're like, just in case God doesn't come through for me, I got this over here. But there's no plan B. God says, Gideon, this is the only plan. And I'm going to give you a big idea that transcends this message. It's really all about what it means to follow Jesus. Listen, God's greatest power is only experienced by those who obey Him when the odds are stacked against them. So what are you talking about? 
Well, you can experience God in a normal life. God loves me. God's good. I have peace in my life. But you're never going to live a supernatural life. You're never going to feel truly alive in God until you allow God to invite you into a situation and you take that first step of courage where you're like, I am out of control. I have no idea what's going to happen here. I could fall off the edge of a cliff. I am free falling here. I have no idea what's going to happen. Until you're willing and ready to do that, you're going to have a normal life. And, and you're going to have a, a normal life that y- you can handle with your gifts and your experience and your financial resources. And as long as you've got something in your back pocket, you're like, I got this. I can handle this. Then God will never invite you into something that's going to require His strength and His power. So if you're like, man, you know, I'm a Christian, but it's kind of lame. That's why. It's because you have not stepped into an area of obedience that is going to require so much more resources than you have on your own. And I don't know about you, but anybody, let me show hands. Who wants to be a lame Christian? Okay, good. I, I, I think somebody misunderstood the question and raised their hand, but I, I think that was wrong. But that's the calling of God upon our lives. And so this is what God is doing with Gideon. He gives him the courage to step into this moment, even though the odds were against him. But here's, here's a takeaway, okay? The victory is Gideon's, right? He already knows he's going to win. But, but guess what Gideon has to actually do? He has to step into the battle. This is always the way that it is with the story of God. God may give you a win. He may give you an answer but it's always going to require a step of obedience. God does His part, we do our part. That's always how it works in the story of God. So Gideon goes back, he listens to what God says, he goes to guys in his own camp and he says, all right guys, I heard from the Lord, we're going to win, and here's the plan. And so he divides them up into three groups of a hundred, and he gives them each a, um, a trumpet, and he gives them a jar and he gives them a torch. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to get to the edge of the camp. I'm going to break the jar. I'm going to blow the trumpet. I'm going to hold the the, the torch up. I want everybody to do the exact same thing that I do. That's the plan, and that's how we're going to win. Everybody good? Kind of leaves it like that, and somebody raised their hand. Uh, Yeah, Jacob. Um, Yeah, Gideon, is there any C4 in the jar? Nope, 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 no C4 in the jar, just a, just a torch. Um, is there uh, any nitro in the jar? Nope, no nitro, just, just a torch. We good, Jacob? Um, well, one more. So when you say a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon, you're going to shout that whole thing. Um, is there a sword? Nope, no sword. Well, but you said there was a sword. It's a metaphor, Jacob. Is a metaphor, is that a kind of a sword? No, Jacob, it's just go with me, will you? And so they're like, all right, this doesn't make sense to us either. But they follow their leader. They're going to do exactly what he says. And here's what I love about this leadership lesson here, all right? A hero's obedience instills courage in others to obey. 
and, and this is really a big reminder that, that the moves that we make, the decisions that we make, are never for us alone. They're always for the other people that are watching. It's always for the other people that we are leading. It's always for the other people that are in our circle of influence. There is very few times in our lives when we are making a decision of obedience to God that only affects us. And there are people that are coming behind us that need to see that we are doing it not perfectly, but we are doing it well. And so whether you're leading a team at work, whether you're leading children at home, uh, whether you're leading uh, a business or anything like that, you've got to realize that people are watching what you do, especially if you are a follower of Jesus. And here's one of the things that, that applies to this. Every time you choose obedience to God, there is a ripple effect. It's not just for you. It's going to go out to your kids. It's going to go out to your employees. It's going to go out to your friends. It's going to strengthen their hands when it's their time to do something courageous, when it's their time to step into a heroic moment. They can say, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen my dad. I've seen my boss. I've seen my mom. I've seen my brother. I've seen them do this. I know what obedience looks like, and I'm going to do this no matter what. So they put the plan into play. He breaks the jar. He blows the trumpet. He holds up the torch. And this is exactly what happens in the camp. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The Midianites basically killed themselves. And this was God's plan, to confuse the enemy. You say, well, how did that happen? Let me show you. This was a strategy. Here are the weapons, jars, trumpets, and torches, right? Trumpets, of which there were 300, are typically only blown by leaders, right? So you got to know this battle strategy. It wasn't just like 300 people. 300 leaders that typically are leading a bunch of people. Torches are only held by heads of troops. So when you do the math, if you know what was going on in that ancient Near Eastern culture, those 300 people appear to be 300,000 people. And when the noise of those jars breaking and the trumpets blowing and the torches being raised up, it, they, the Midianites lost their minds and they turned on each other. And, and basically, uh, they defeated the Midianites without even lifting a sword because they followed the idiot's plan for winning a battle. It was simply about doing what God said no matter what. It didn't make sense. Now, one final piece of this, I kind of skipped over it because I, I wanted to come back and focus on this at the end. When, when the one Midianite was talking about his dream, if you remember this was a statement he said, he said, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon. 
Now, when you are eavesdropping and somebody starts mentioning your name and, and making you great, the easiest thing to let happen there is for your head to get really, really big. You know, and, and, and maybe if it was you or me, you know, we would have said, that's right, that's right, that's right. Gideon's in the house. But no, 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 no. There was none of that ego, none of that pride. It's just the opposite because when he heard about that dream, this is what happened. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. Now you let that sink in for a minute. That was his response. He bowed down and worshiped. And that might be the most powerful part of the story because it shows that Gideon got it. It shows that he realized that God was the one that gave him the win. You see, heroes give God the credit for their success. They give God the glory for anything great that has happened. And and by the way, this is how God determines whether your success is going to be short-term or whether it's going to be long-term. Because if you take the win and you make it all about yourself, then God's going to go, okay, you got this? All right, you're on your own. If you get the win and you bow down and you say, oh God, it was you, God's like, all right, you're ready for another one and for another one and for another one and for another one. Just don't break the pattern. I mean, a real simple question is, are you giving God the glory for what He's doing in your family, for what He's doing in your business, for your financial success, for your accomplishments, for your promotion? Are you saying to God, you did that? Or are you saying to others, I did that? See, God is seeking to bless people who when they are granted success will bow down and worship. This is the heart that he's looking for. This is the movement that he is looking for every follower of Jesus to make. And so the question that we have been asking throughout this series is, is it your time? Is it your time to move in that direction? Is it your time to give God the credit and stop taking it for yourself? Is it your time? Where is that place, that person, that cause where God is calling you to be a hero? In your family? On your team? In your school? In your neighborhood? At work? Is it your time? You see, when we act in the present, we can change the future. Act because the world is waiting. Now, I want to speak to a a group of people that are maybe in this room or maybe you're watching online, and this message is not so much for you. It's not so much the idiot's guide to success but what you need to hear is the idiot's guide to salvation. And let's be clear, there's no idiots here, okay? But stay with the theme. 
because there are a lot of people that are confused about what it takes to enter into a right relationship with God because religion has complicated it. Religion has made people confused about, do I ever measure up? Am I ever going to be good enough? Am I ever going to be secure? Will God love me forever no matter what I do? And so we get really sideways on that. But there is a very simple message of salvation. And it's this, God loves you. In fact, he loves you so much he couldn't stand to live without you. And so he humbled himself in heaven and he came to earth as a little baby. He grew up and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And that includes your sins and it includes mine. And the reality is you're a sinner like we all are. And there's nothing that you can do to fix that. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay for your sins so that you didn't have to pay for them. And then he rose from the grave to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins and the ability to grant you eternal life. And so right now the simple message is this, that you acknowledge, Jesus, I know that you love me, but I'm a sinner separated from you. Then you believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, and you rose from the grave, and then you choose. You say, Jesus, I choose you right now as my Savior from sin and the leader of my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you prayed that prayer with a genuine heart, I want to welcome you into the family of God. And can we give everybody a hand for making that decision? If you made that decision, I want you to go to zarephath.org and push this little button that says, my decision, let us know that was your step. And we're going to reach out to you with your next step that is going to include you moving forward and making heroic decisions as God gives you his power and his strength. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for this beautiful story of faith and obedience And how fitting is it that we would end on a Gideon who is so much like us, a reluctant hero, somebody who might just say, I'm really no one. I'm just a normal woman, a normal man, a normal student. And yet in your hands, with your power, there is nothing that we can't do. And God, for those who just made this decision, who said yes to you, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. You would give them courage to take their next step of obedience towards you so that it's not just a one-time decision. It is a way of life. And for those of us who have made that decision, who have entered into following you every single day, may we go to another level in that where we would say, God, starting today, I'm going to do what you say no matter what. And I know that you will create for us so many heroic moments that will bless us and bless others around us and who are coming behind us. May this be our path. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.